0: We're doing a sermon series on practical theology. And today, the topic within that is faith and obedience. And if you don't know me, I'm Grant. Um, I've been going to this church for a while. I got involved with Focus at UTD. And I live in Denton. I work for a company that does education software. I do programming stuff. So that's a little bit about who I am and where I'm coming from. And we're talking about faith and obedience. Um, I think a lot of times in our theological conversations about faith and obedience... We talk about it in terms of how they relate to salvation, like whether you go to heaven or hell after you die. Um, and in the end, there's a lot about that eternal faith that we don't know very clearly from the scripture. But the scripture does say a lot about what we should believe and what God wants us to focus on and do. Um, so we're going to talk about it in pretty practical terms. Um, I have three points that are all pretty simple. Each one has lots of scriptures around it to explain where it's coming from and uh, where, where, yeah, that's where the idea came from. And one of the main goals of this series is to uh, talk about things in really practical day-to-day terms instead of having all our theology up in the clouds where it's hard to figure out how it affects our lives. And so for every point that I have, I've tried to have at least one story of how I've experienced it. Um, and it's been hard to come up with those stories and examples of these things uh, because I'm, we're talking about like, how I ended up where I am in my relationship with God. And in any relationship, it's hard to think back and figure out like how you got to where you are. It's like a pretty subjective thing. Um, So I've had to kind of reach for some of these stories, and some of it is kind of invasive. Like I'd rather not share it in this setting, but I think for the sake of being able to like bring it into practical terms that are understandable and to help us kind of help the rubber meet the road on these topics, I'm going to have some stories. So three points. I'll tell you what they all are um, up front, and then we'll go through them more slowly. So the first point is that you don't get to tell God how to reveal himself to you. Second point is, and I'll I'll go through all this slower, so you don't have to keep up and write right now if you're taking notes. Second point is, God has chosen to reveal himself to you through your obedience. And the third point is that you should obey in order to know, love, and please him. So, diving into the first point, uh, you don't get to tell God how to reveal himself to you. I think it's frighteningly easy for us to approach God in a really bad way. We can come to him with arrogance and pride and not even realize that we're doing it. I think the cards are really stacked against us because of the culture that we're coming out of that trains us to be very self-centered and to expect immediate gratification. So I almost feel like we're just like spring-loaded to take off in the wrong direction if we're not very careful and if we don't check ourselves. Um, I think we need to remember our place before God and that if you ever get a glimpse of Him, then that's a humbling encounter and something that He gave to you as a gift and not something that you are entitled to. And you're not entitled to a relationship with him any more than you're entitled to a relationship with the people around you. It's a matter of whether he, you know, wants to give that to you. And we're lucky that he does. Um, so the whole point in this first one is you don't get to tell God how to reveal himself to you. I think often we want to try to force God to get on our terms, but instead we need to try to get on his terms. And so a handful of different scriptures that I want to remind you of... Um, reading from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. The Lord declares, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, it do not return there, but water the earth, making it Bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish the purpose I sent. And will succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Um, so yeah, this idea that we, we have our thoughts and we, want, we have an impulse to put them on the God and try to get him to do things like that. But he has a different set of thoughts and they're better than what we would have brought to the table. I remind you also of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's the kind of attitude we need to bring to him. And then uh, in James 4, it says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Um, So I promised you a story for every point that I make and how I've experienced it. Um, A big part of this for me, me trying to impose on God how he should reveal himself to me and how I'm going to come to him, has a lot to do with uh, doubts that I've had about him. And especially in high school and early college, I just had tons of, like, doubts. I'm just seeing Kevin. He, like, helped me process through a lot of this. (laughs) Um, Yeah, anyone that was, like, mentoring me at that time can tell you that I had a lot of doubts. And I felt like I needed to be logically and reasonably convinced about God, that He exists, and that the way that He's portrayed in Christianity is true, and that the claims that He has made about Himself are true. Like, I wanted to feel logically and reasonably certain about that. And I felt like I needed that before I could come to God. And especially in high school, I got really into apologetics. And if you're not familiar with that term, it's like uh, trying to put forward, re- put forward reasonable arguments that people uh, should believe in God, or at least remove barriers there. Um, so I got a lot into that, trying to convince myself in a way that I didn't think could change, that I would like always be wanting to follow God, because I had this, like, I'd proven it to myself. Um... And there's this one guy, Joseph, in high school that I would talk to a lot. We had some classes together, and he was a brilliant guy, really into debate. And uh, he was a Christian, and I would use AIM, that instant messenger from back in the day. So yeah. I would find myself after school reflecting, having all these kind of angsty doubts about it. And um, I would often just be like, okay, from the top, Joseph, like, why do you believe in God? Like, how do you, how have you arrived at this conclusion? And so we would talk about these different apologetic arguments that, you know, quote unquote, convince us that God is there. And then one day, I asked him that question, like, okay, why, help me get my head around this again, why do you believe this? Like, trying to kind of piggyback on his faith. And he said, honestly, man, I don't. Like, we're in East Texas, I grew up in Tyler, and he went to this church, and it was such a big part of his, like, social framework that he felt like he needed to put forward that he believed in God to, like, just be able to get along with the people around him. And so he was very cautious on who he told that he didn't. And so finally he opened up to me and told me, like, I don't actually believe in this stuff. And that really shook my faith, because I was trying to, like, build my faith off of his. And seeing this person who's, like, very intelligent and that I respect as a thinker and as a Christian say that he's actually not a Christian, that that was a facade, that was pretty unsettling to me. And I remember um, lots of times just in the night, like, trying to find some resolution to this. And I remember a particular night, I was walking up and down the street where I lived, and just looking up at the stars and just seeing like how like big everything is and how small I am and just saying, God, please just give me something, like do something. And he didn't do anything. Like nothing happened in that moment. Um and looking back on that, it's kind of funny. Like the situation is just absurd. Because you have me, this frail, momentary, squishy little creature with like <laughs> no power. Um And I'm looking up at the creator who reaches back further back in time than we can imagine and further forward in time, and he's everywhere. And I'm saying, I know what I need, and I'm telling you what I need, and I want you to give it to me right now. It's like, I feel like any story about a child can go in right there, and then that would help illustrate how silly that is. Um, Alternatively, I could have had a different attitude and said, God, please help me to discern my error and my biases and to help me understand what I need. Um... And we need to do this on your terms and, and whatever timetable you see fit. Um, really, I was afraid of being wrong. I didn't ever want to have to say, to like mature in life and say, man, I really took off in the wrong direction. I'm going to need to course correct. Like, I was afraid of having to do that, to having to do that at some point. And I wanted some guarantee that I wouldn't have to. Um, but needing a guarantee like that before you're going to open yourself up to someone and love someone isn't what love is. That's coming out of fear and self-preservation. Uh, so, a couple of verses that kind of uh, speak to this, and just kind of some of my silliness in that. In Luke, Jesus just kind of this is in Luke ten. He says, "I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children." This idea that the true, the truth, is like kind of obvious and it's not very impressive. And if we want to learn it, then we need to lower ourselves to the level of a child. And if, you're, if what's really important to you is like kind of lifting yourself up and feeling like you're really impressive and everything, then you're not going to be willing to lower yourself to that level. Um, there's also, in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul said, uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And one thing Brad said a while ago in a sermon is that the truth is hidden in a children's book. I just thought that was a great way to put it, and kind of a way of uh, rephrasing that rejoicing that Jesus did in Luke 10. Um so yeah, that's all stuff that kind of spoke to my situation. Um, so a couple questions that you can ponder. Um, what do you think are the proper means for God to reveal himself to you? And what do you require of him before you'll obey? Now This is a very like specific and small and practical thing, but I just thought I'd throw it in here because I think it could be helpful. Um, you might consider kneeling when you pray like all the way down with your forehead on the ground and just assume that posture when you pray. I think the, the actions that we do and even the postures that we do can have an influence on our attitudes and our hearts and kneeling might be helpful. So just write that down if you want something to try out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, main question for this first point is what do you think are the proper means for God to reveal himself to you and what do you require of him before you will obey? So second thing, God has chosen to reveal himself to you through your obedience. So we don't get to tell him how this is going to work. We need to let him tell us how it's going to work. And I think in the scripture we see that he wants to reveal himself to us through our obedience to him. Um, Yeah, I guess I'll give a sec to write that down. God has chosen to reveal himself to you through your obedience. I'm going to read from John 14. Leslie was reading stuff right around this, if not this, itself last week. Uh, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Um, Another thing that Jesus said in John is uh, some people were coming to him and questioning whether his teaching is from God, and he just said, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. This idea that if you don't know if, God, if what Jesus says is true and you want to find out, then put it into practice and see what happens. Uh, that's in John 7. Um, one thing uh, Brad said about this a while ago is like this idea, God chooses to reveal himself to us through our obedience. He just said, I challenge you to think of a better way. Because when we obey God, um, he transform our char- transforms our character to be like his. And there's just something really beautiful and and about encountering him in that intimate way that changes us and so like spend some time thinking what would hypothetically be a better way for god to reveal himself to us i don't think he will come up with one so this one the story was really hard because this is kind of where the rubber meets the road like i was trying to think how has god revealed his character to me through my obedience and uh so there's kind of like two things in this story that led to one like i guess revelation um and this story yeah, is kind of multifaceted and hard to follow, so try to like really tune in and track with me, because I think it like, has a good point. That's why I'm sharing it, but it's a little hard to follow. Um, there's two things that happened. One is that I was learning not to be selfish toward my girlfriend. And I know it's kind of weird to talk about a girlfriend in a sermon, but I'm just going to do it, because I don't have a whole lot of great stories to choose from. <laughs> so uh, I found that I would get grumpy when we were together. Like, I would just kind of be irritable and unhappy and it would put a damper on our time together. I didn't really know why. And Luckily I'm friends with Aaron Hollingsworth and he's kind of like my pathway to understanding my emotions because he asked me questions about things and without him I like, can't plumb them and figure them out. <laughs> so we were talking about it and I was trying to figure out why. And he helped me realize that I was just bringing unrealistic expectations to that time. I was expecting it to be very refreshing and euphoric and fulfilling and exciting. Um, and I had plenty of time to look forward to it because we don't get to see each other very often. Um, or to put it another way, I was going into our time together focused on the feelings that I wanted to get out of it. And, you know, there's obviously tons of scriptures to the contrary. Just for a few, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Um, And then there's that Philippians verse where he's saying to look to the example of Jesus and look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This idea that we need to put other people in front of ourselves in relationships. And a lot of times there are like sneaky ways that we can find ourselves not doing that. Um, So, yeah, it's just part of being a disciple in general. And so when I realized I wasn't doing that, I was like, okay, I need to repent of this and get on the right track. So I made it my goal to start putting her first and uh, focusing on how I can give to her and sacrifice for her in our time together. And I guess our time to part as well. Our time apart as well. Um, A lot of times I'll try to find a quiet moment to pray before we meet up and uh, just ask God to teach me how to put her before myself. And so what I learned from that whole thing that's relevant to this is that I saw how in a close relationship, um, I can bring selfishness to the table that can subtly tweak my outlook in a way that I don't notice and don't pick up on until something brings it to my attention. Um, And by the way, you can do this in any relationship. Like if it's a friend you haven't seen forever and you're really looking forward to seeing them, anything like that. This isn't just like a dating thing. Um, So yeah, that's the first thing. The second thing is that I wanted to learn how to pray. Um, There's obviously tons of uh, instructions in the scripture for us to pray. This idea that we have this incredible access to God through His Spirit and we should be communing with Him all the time. Um... So I was seeking out advice from people, and from uh, one person I asked in particular was my coworker Charles, and uh, he lent me a book that I read. And so with all this stuff, with like thinking about my relationship with my girlfriend, and reading this book, and trying to figure out how to pray and commune with God, I feel like I had uh, kind of an experience with God. I think he—I wouldn't describe this just as me like thinking thoughts about him in his absence, but he actually like came and like had a encounter with me. Uh, as a result of all these, like, trying to obey in these different areas. And I very clearly remember when I read this, I was sitting on the back porch, and Cody, my roommate, was grilling chicken, and I was just chilling after work. It was a really nice day, sitting on this blue chair. And, uh, yeah, I'll read what I read. Uh, so he says, Look at the various passages in the Gospel. People much greater than ourselves hesitated to receive Christ. Rem- remember the centurion who asked God to heal his servant. Christ said, I'll come. By the centurion said, no, don't say a word and he'll be healed. Do we do that? Do we turn to God and say, don't make yourself tangibly, perceptively present before me? It's enough for you to say a word and I'll be healed. It's enough for you to say a word and things will happen. I don't need more for the moment. Or take Peter in his boat after the great catch of fish. When he fell on his knees and said, leave me, O Lord, I'm a sinner. He asked the Lord to leave his boat because he felt humble. And he felt humble because he had suddenly perceived the greatness of Jesus. Do we ever do that? When we read the gospel and the image of Christ becomes compelling, glorious, when we pray and we become aware of the greatness, the holiness of God, do we ever say, I'm unworthy unworthy that he should come near me? Not to speak of all the occasions when we should realize that he cannot come near to us because we're not there to receive him. We want something from him, not him at all. Is that a relationship? Do we behave in that way with our friends? Do we aim at what friendship can give us? Or is it the friend whom we love? Is this true with regard to the Lord? Let us think of our prayers, yours and mine. Think of the warmth, the depth, the intensity of your prayer when it concerns someone you love or something that matters to your life. Then your heart is open. All your inner self is recollected in the prayer. Does this mean that God matters to you? No, it does not. It simply means that the subject matter of your prayer matters to you. For when you've made your passionate, deep, intense prayer concerning the person you love or the situation that worries you, and you turn to the next item, which doesn't matter so much, if you suddenly grow cold, what has changed? Has God grown cold? Has he gone? No. It means that all the elation, all the intensity of your prayer was not born of God's presence or of your faith in him or of your longing for him. It was born of nothing but your concern for him or her or it, the thing you're praying for. How can we feel a then that God is absent? It is we who make ourselves absent. It is we who grow cold the moment we're no longer concerned with God. Why? Because he doesn't matter so much to us. So we think of this Continuing in the quote, so when we think of this absence of God, how he feels absent when we're praying, is it not worthwhile to ask ourselves who we blame for that feeling? We always blame God. We accuse him, either straight to his face or in front of people, of being absent, of never being there when he's needed, never answering when he is addressed. At times we are more pious, and we say piously, God is testing my patience, my faith, my humility. We find all sorts of ways of turning God's judgment on us into a new way of praising ourselves. We're so patient that we can even put up with God. It goes on from there. But I just remember reading that, and I was just stunned. I just sat there, and I was like, God, I'm so sorry. I did not realize that I was treating you terribly and just coming to you because I want things from you and not because I want you. Like, I wouldn't do that to a friend consciously. So, yeah, whenever I was praying, I would sit there for, you know, two minutes, and if he didn't immediately, you know, blow my mind and, like, refresh (laughs) my spirit then I would just move on to the next potential source of happiness, if that's Facebook or whatever. Just move right along if it didn't immediately give me what I wanted. Um, And I feel like he really rebuked me in that. Um, So the whole point of all this is God has chosen to reveal himself to you through your obedience, and this is a story where God revealed himself to me through my obedience. Um, So that raises the question, what did God reveal to me about his character in all of this? The first thing that comes to my mind is that it was merciful and kind of him to rebuke me at all. In Luke 1, when Mary is praising God for like choosing the lowly things of the world and whatnot, um, she said, He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. This idea that when you're proud, you can just imagine that you're the greatest thing and get lost in that. Um, and God's judgment on people who are that way is to just let them go off. And he's like, okay, just go off in your imagination. But he didn't treat me that way. He chose to inter- intervene in that. And he revealed my pride to me instead of just letting me delude myself. I think that was a kind and merciful thing of him to do. I also realized that he's been patiently and quietly putting up with my crap for years. Yeah. And this was definitely like a direct rebuke, but it was gentle. and In a way, it was meek. And we always talk about how meekness means strength under control. I think that's exactly what I experienced. It's like he cut into me, but it was something that he did with a scalpel and not like a dagger. Like it was just exactly as deep as I needed and right where I needed it and no more. And it was also very clear to me that I was welcome to continue trying to approach him. So that's my story, a time where I learned of God's character through my obedience. Um, And none of that would have been relevant to me if I wasn't trying to obey. The situation for me to have realized those things and for me to care about those things wouldn't have been there if that wasn't the context. So uh, how have you learned God's character and grown closer to him through your obedience? If you were giving this sermon and you were trying to come up with an example, what story could you tell? And that's a hard question, and that's something to write down and think about later. Uh, And if you find you don't experience this, where's the disconnect? It's possible that I'm wrong, and that this isn't really what the Scripture says. Or that my interpretation of it isn't quite right. Um, So, yeah, I would encourage you to think about that. Okay, point number three. You should obey in order to know, love, and please God. I'm going to reread those verses from John 14 that we read earlier. I I to find them? So yeah, you should obey in order to know, love, and please God. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another an advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and I will come to them, and we will come to them and make our home in them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Um, There's another time in Matthew where Jesus is... uh, People are asking him about his mother and his brothers. And he responds to them in Matthew 12, and he says, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This idea that we gain almost a familial kind of relationship to him in our obedience. Um, and then in Ephesians 5, Paul says, he's in the middle of these like, practical instructions for how Christians should live in their society. And he says, Just simply try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And I love that verse. He doesn't say, try to discern what's the least you can do and still get, you want, get what you want from the Lord. He says, try to figure out how to please the Lord. And I love that, first of all, because it um, is encouraging us to have a heart attitude that I think is really good and healthy. And secondly, because it acknowledges that it's not always obvious what we should do to please the Lord. There's lots of muddy situations in real life and we have to get advice and seek wisdom. And it, I feel like it validates the difficulty that I run into whenever it's hard to know what to do, when you have to make a judgment call about something. um, I guess this is a good place to share a little bit. One of the things that we were trying to do with this sermon series initially was talk about how we perceive Jesus and Paul differently. And I think this is a great example of how Paul is not the way that we sometimes paint him. Sometimes we have this idea that if we look at Paul's verses, then we can, we can get the idea that we just need to believe certain things about God, and then we'll be good. And if you, like, pray a sinner's prayer, just assent to these truths mentally, then you're going to go to heaven. Um, But that's so clearly not Paul's attitude in Philippians 3 here. And you can only get that by plucking his verses out of his books and certainly out of his life. Um, So again, looking for a story uh, to illustrate the point that we should obey God in order to know, love, and please Him. And I think one of the main things about this is that we have all sorts of ulterior motives that we bring to the table. And I had a very clear story for what I could share about in this because I was preparing this sermon. And I think Uh, this sermon is, like, the story of preparing this sermon and even delivering it is kind of a good example of this, of me having ulterior motives. I don't like doing sermons because they kind of make my pride and insecurity rise to the surface. I care too much about what my hearers will think about me, and so I try to avoid doing sermons because I just don't want to have to deal with all that pride and insecurity. (laughs) But I finally figured I should do it. Um, I care too much about this coming off as, like, entertaining or fresh or new or impressive, and... I want people to be impressed with me and think highly of me. Um, So, yeah, all through preparing this, I've been struggling with my heart just not being in a good place or I have all these ulterior motives. Um, And I think the most helpful advice I've been given for when you find yourself in that situation is just do what you would do if your heart was in a good place and in the meantime, ask God to change it. Ask Him to help you with that. Amen. so in obedience in general what are your ulterior motives i brainstormed a couple things kind of broad categories that I think we run into sometimes I think for people who have been obeying for a while we kind of can feel like we have to or we just default into it um, but if you remember the story of the prodigal son the son was free to go off and waste and be foolish the father was not forcing anything on him and you do have the freedom to, rock, to walk away if you want to I think it can be valuable to remember that, and that you're not forced into this, but you're, you have the opportunity to do, it, to do it as a choice and because you love God. Maybe at some level you believe that if you do the right things, then life will go well for you. You won't get your heart broken and life won't inflict a lot of pain on you. But we need to be reminded that that's just not at all true. In fact, I think the opposite is true. Uh, I think uh, those kind of hardships are guaranteed to us if we follow God. And if comfort and ease are what you want most out of life, then you need to stop obeying God because he's going to lead you into the opposite direction. Um, another ulterior motive is that we want to think of ourselves as good people. If we come up with some metric where we measure up higher than other people, then it's pleasing to see that we're better than others in that way. But I'll remind you of the tax collector and the Pharisee praying. It was the, fair, uh, the tax collector who just beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the one who went home justified not the one who is able to rank himself above others. Another thing, a uh, potential ulterior motive, is that in our context, we get lots of perks along the way in being obedient to God. In other times and places in the world, that makes you an outcast of society. But not for us. Things are pretty cushy for us as Christians. Uh, and we get good friends, people like us and respect us. We have a security net, kind of, for when we fall on hard times emotionally or financially or whatever. Our community really does excel in some ways, and it's a good and precious gift. But we can make it an idol if we're not careful. So you should obey in order to know, love, and please God. And I encourage you to ask, what are my ulterior motives, and then start working on rooting those out. So that's the three things. So uh, you don't get to tell God how to reveal himself to you. He's chosen to reveal himself to you through your obedience And you should obey in order to know, know, love, and please God. And hopefully you've come away with some questions that you can reflect on. Um, And for the remainder of our time here, we're going to do a handful of things. But one of them is we're going to sing the song, uh, Shape My Heart. And the purpose for singing that song is to remind us that in obeying God, we're trying to know him and love him and please him. And we're also going to sing a song, Immortal, Invisible. Um, It's like an old hymn. And we've sung it a few times, but it might have kind of flown under the radar. But there's a particular line in there that says, we blossom and flourish as leaves on a tree and wither and perish but not change a fee. And I think we need to sing songs like that to remind ourselves that we're just a fleeting little thing, like a little leaf that comes and goes, but it's part of this big tree. It's a lot more stable. And that's God, <laughs> at least how I interpret it. But, so yeah, I think it, this song can remind us of our place before God and help us to approach Him humbly and instill that attitude in us.